This is the Online Resilience Tool podcast with me, Louisa Street, and Professor Andy Fickin. Music is by Rue Pescott. Hello and welcome to the Online Resilience Podcast. Um, I'm here again with Andy Fippin and today we are talking about potentially harmful behaviours. If you've looked at the tool, you might sort of notice that a lot of the behaviours fall into the potentially harmful category. Um, Even if you've done the training, you might still feel a little bit unclear about what a potentially harmful behaviour is. The way that we've set it up in the tool is that um, it's a behaviour that tells you you need to have a conversation with a young person to find out whether the behaviour is actually really high risk and would be a harmful behaviour or whether actually the information that you get tells you it's not harmful, this young person isn't at risk. Um, They're not behaviours to ignore or just simply monitor um, like you might with other middle ground behaviours, they're situations which could actually be putting that young person at serious harm or could be entirely benign. So for example, in the 9 to 12 age group, we've got online interaction with strangers. Um, A young person this age might say they talk to strangers online all the time, but this could mean anything from having the chat function open in Rocket League uh, and using a series of set responses to talk to teammates, or it could be that unbeknownst to their parents, they're developing relationships with people they don't know and are having and developing emotional ties with them, which would make them very vulnerable. Do you want to just and explain it, what Rocket League is? Just, just, <laughs> just for those listening that might not know what Rocket League is. <laughs> yes, sorry, good point. Um, so Rocket League is a is a game where you play in teams. Uh, as cars and you play football (laughs) (laughs) there you go it's just you know regular pastime yeah 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 yeah. 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 from what i've heard it's very very difficult and (laughs) it's very skilled Mm, yeah Um, i'm sure yeah i I think i think with all of these things they generally have a a core form of interaction which is you're playing in teams you interact with your your friends or people from the other side of the world in these teams And, and yeah you know like you were saying um talking to strangers might be someone their own age who's just got the same sort of interest but equally we we also know that if people have a sexual interest in children they might be going somewhere where there are lots of children for example games so you know that that's you know like you were saying the conversation needs to be had i think that's the that's i think probably it's the most important category you'd probably agree with that wouldn't you um absolutely yeah it's one of the most important ones, partly because a lot of stuff that we might not understand as professionals falls into that category. Mm-hmm. So if a young person says they're talking to strangers online as a professional, you might think, ah, oh, panic, that's really high risk. What is Rocket League? How does talking to strangers in that game mm-hmm. work? Um, and actually, that's why we need to have those conversations. We need to talk to young people and find out about that because we're never going to know all of the games that young people could yeah. be playing. Yeah, uh, you know that comes back to one of the things we've probably said over and over again in, in these podcasts, which is it's not about knowing exactly the piece of technology or the game or the app or whatever they're, they're doing. It's about exploring what goes on within it because they all fall into fairly standard classes. I think one one of the things that has has surfaced this week, which I think maybe is worth flagging up because it definitely fits into potential harmful, is um I, I think you both you and I have had questions about whether the blue whale challenge has, has resurfaced. 
um, which is interesting when the question is, has it resurfaced? Because it doesn't actually exist in the first place. Um, for, for those people that um, aren't aware of the, the, the wonderful history of the Blue Whale Challenge, it's, it was put out as, or, or it was uh, one of those internet ghost stories, that there was this thing on the internet where um, young people would be contacted by um, what they refer to as an organised suicide game. So they were given a, a set of instructions, and the, and the final instruction was um, to take your own life. Um, obviously, this was extremely concerning. Um, there were a few images of um, supposedly a, a picture of a whale cut into um, someone's arm with a razor blade. So, of course, that, that apparently provided the evidence that this was the case. But um, as with a lot of these um, these ghost stories and, and scare stories, it, it turned out that no one could find any evidence of anyone who had actually been affected by them. The, the problem with this sort of thing is that once people start talking about it, obviously the trolls get, get wind of it and the trolls start putting things out that sound like the organised suicide game when actually it's just people being a bit unpleasant online. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's worth flagging up given we're talking about um, potentially harmful behaviours because it's one of those things where if you've got a bunch of young people sort of chatting about, oh, the Blue Whale Challenge things, um, and you've seen the alert from the, the local police force that's talked about this thing, um, bearing in mind that it doesn't exist, um, your, your first response might be, oh my god, that's a serious safeguard of the same way, where really you need to sit down and go, so what do you mean? You, you know someone who's played it? You know someone who's experienced it? You know someone who's been contacted by it to, to be asked these questions? Or is it something that people have been talking about online? So you're talking about it online, right? Um, uh, and it, it just amused me that it's resurfaced again. Because people might remember, was it last year, a couple of years ago, that we had the Momo thing, which similarly didn't actually seem to exist until people started sharing the risk of it? Last year, um, final week in February, I've written extensively about that week because um, what, what we, at the start of the week, you know, those of us in the area had heard about this thing where it's supposed to appear in, in children's videos and, and tell them to self-harm or, or take their own life. We knew it was nonsense. Um, and then within the space of about two days, Kim Kardashian started talking about it online with her 16 million followers, I believe. Um, right. <laughs> at the same time, the police service in Northern Ireland released a press statement about it, which essentially said, we don't know if this exists, but if it does exist, it's a bad thing. Um, and then various other um, people within the online safeguarding community decided to start talking about it as well. And then by the end of the week, you had, um, I know this for a fact, uh, young people being ushered into assembly halls where the head teacher are going, now children, there's this thing called Momo and you shouldn't go searching for it because it's very dangerous. Um, so, of course, all the kids then went off and searched for Momo. We know this to be a fact because there was a 45,000% increase in searches for Momo that week. We've seen the data. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. So, so, so basically what you had there was, was a whole bunch of adults who've got safeguarding responsibilities not doing their fact-checking, not doing their critical thinking, and instead going into a blind panic. Um, and and yeah, the, the Blue Whale Challenge was probably a couple of years before Momo when it first happened. It's just bubbled up. And, you know. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because um, we know that saying don't do this has a counterproductive mm -hmm. effect yeah. with young people. So um, I'm sure most people listening to this podcast will have had just say no drugs education at school. And I'm sure none of them ever used any substances. <laughs> um, 
But actually, evidence now shows that more young people use drugs during the Just Say No era than beforehand, when there was no drugs education. <laughs> and and I think, you know, we can kind of say, had had we as professionals had a sort of perhaps more coherent approach to it, we might have said, let's tell young people that this might be circulating and where they can get support if they're worried about it. But telling them don't go out and search for this because you'll see something really shocking and horrible it, it's going to pique your curiosity yeah, absolutely yeah. And, and the thing about momo as well was that the it was related to a, a sculpture of a japanese folklore character and it was quite a shocking character but but the picture exists the, the statue is uh, the statue has actually been destroyed now by the artist um but but images of the statue exist and they have had people sticking pictures into the middle of for example a couple of pig videos and uploading them to youtube that doesn't mean it's an organized suicide game that just means there's a nasty troll who wants to make children cry um yeah. and i think that's you know quite quite the significant difference so so no if you hear um uh, a bunch of young people, for example, like, oh, they have Blue World Challenge. Doesn't necessarily mean they've been con- contacted by an organised gang in Russia who are encouraging <laughs> them to, to engage in um, acts of self-harm. It just means that they're aware of, of the ghost story that, that's flying around. Um, yeah. and, and as with all these things, you know, the, the things we always come back to is sit down, have a conversation, understand the, the broader context, and um, then make a judgment on whether there is a a valid concern there you know even this week when blue whale challenges were flying around again it seems that most of the agencies in the area are asking whether anyone's seen any cases of it rather than Mm. it's definitely out there Um, and and what you normally get alongside of these ghost stories is oh yeah there's there's been cases in russia or india or brazil all places where accessing coroner's reports is maybe a little challenging (laughs) um so so you know just just um, apply a bit of critical thinking to it. I mean, it's a classic urban legend, isn't it? The oh, it didn't happen to me; it yeah. happened to my sister's friend. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's always that step far enough away that you can't yeah. you can't verify it. Yeah. Where does this stuff come from? Like the blue whale challenge; those three words together have obviously been put together by somebody. Do we have any? understanding of where it starts a lot of this stuff lurks in the the dark recesses of of internet discourse like 4chan Reddit, those places where you, yeah. you you get a bunch of people deciding they're going to start scamming or, or organizing a, a troll thing um so the the okay sign being used as a white power symbol which is now um, being taken down in a lot of places were actually originated from a bunch of trolls on reddit who decided they were going to claim that that sign was a white power symbol, then white power organisations got wind of that and started using it as a white power symbol. So then it became something that, you know, the, the people who created it, it's just fantastic, it really is. Um, but, but you know, we are in an era where you'll see something online or you, know, you have your confirmation bias, so you're looking for evidence and stuff that, that aligns with your viewpoint. Um, and it's very easy to to create content online, um, and you know, it goes back to stuff like moral panic, you know, stuff that Stanley mm. Cohen was writing about in the seventies. Um, if the media creates a story, that story then suddenly becomes real. I think at, at the moment in Cornwall, there's um, I can't think there's a beach where there isn't a, a gang of marauding drunken teenagers um, because that's uh, an appropriate media narrative that 
if you stick it on something like Cornwall Live, you'll get lots of social media traffic too, because everyone's got an opinion on some teenagers drinking on a beach. Um, so you know, it, it, it's easy. It's easy likes and, and easy um, uh, traffic. Yeah. It was just interesting that when we were sort of planning to to do this podcast, that, that the whale challenge resurfaced. Um, I think the Samaritans are, are very sensibly re-released their statement from 2017, which is basically, if you start to talk about this sort of thing, we know that it can create um, anxiety and distress in people that that have got mental health illnesses. So, so please, can we stop using the words and saying it's a suicide game and things instead, just you know, asking people to disclose if they've seen something upsetting online. Yeah, and and that very neatly brings us back to this idea of the potentially harmful behaviour. Absolutely. We... Aren't we professionals? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a perfect segue. Uh, because it is just that if somebody mentions the Blue Whale Challenge, what what do they mean by it? What do they understand mm-hmm. by it? How have they been affected by it, if at all? Um and we've actually we've got some some case studies which we're going to discuss, which um, are kind of similar actually, and and ways that um, these sort of potentially harmful behaviours might rear their heads. Um, okay, so let's start with these case studies then. So the first one we we've, we've got is um, a parent gives their five year old their phone to play with, and the child sees sexually explicit images that the parents have been exchanging. Um. So this, I think, is a brilliant one because we've all been, I mean, so we've all been to coffee shops with our (laughs) friends who've got kids, but I mean, that seems to be a thing of the past. But we've all been in that situation where you go out with friends, they've got a child with them, the child is um, getting bored, and so the parent gives the child the phone to play with. Um, That in itself... I think, you know, that's that's quite normal, that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to worry too much about that yeah. on its own. But in this instance, the child has seen sexually explicit images, which we know, obviously, for a child that age could be quite concerning, particularly if it's the parents, if it's identifiably the parents mm-hmm. in the image, the child might be confused and upset by that. Um what what do we want to do? What what would our advice be to a professional working with this family? I think this one's a really good one because it's something that, you know, clearly um, people in relationships do exchange images, they do take images and, and sometimes you, you might forget they're there, you might forget that you've WhatsApped a, a rude picture to, to your partner at work or, or whatever and then that's ended up in the gallery and they've forgotten it's there or something. Equally, you could be in a situation where there was something more sinister going on, and, and you know you, you could have um, uh, a suggestion that that they are explicitly sharing these images or showing these images to, to minors, which of course is is a far far more concerning issue. Um, so, I think the first thing is how did the young person express it? Was it oh, I've seen some pictures of mummy and daddy being rude, um, or mummy and daddy showed me these pictures? Um, you know, just in terms of disclosure itself but clearly you need a conversation as well with the parents to to explore this further i think um if you have a five-year-old obviously there's going to be issues in terms of the the amount of detail they, they express and um uh the, the distress that it's caused to them so so it, it'll have to be something other than just a conversation with a five-year-old and straight off to to 
to a mash or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you really do you know, need to have a conversation with the family as well. Now, that is quite an awkward conversation to have. But ultimately, you are in a situation where the classic potentially harmful behaviour, it could be a, a serious um, familial abuse incident. It could be something where you've just got someone really embarrassed because they'd forgotten the images were on there and you really need that conversation regardless of how awkward and embarrassing it might be for, for all parties. Yeah, I think that I think that sums up really nicely. Obviously, talking to the family, it may be that the parents need to know that there are ways that they can exchange those messages without um, the pictures being saved into the camera roll. Um, or just being aware, just, you know, kind of reminding them if they're going to be doing that, that they need to be deleting the photos afterwards. And, and you know, if you've got, um, I don't know if this is the same with Android, but with iPhones, if you delete your pictures, they're then in your recently deleted folder for 30 days. So, uh, And, you know, you, if, if you want to, to keep them for posterity and nothing wrong with that, maybe stick them into a cloud storage with some form of password protection on it would be very very good advice anyway um (laughs) um, but but then equally you've got some means that you can then share your device with your young children without risk of them being exposed to something that yeah they might find quite distressing and and, you know not not know what on earth to do about it Um, yeah i suppose i mean i think we talked a bit about this in the harmful behaviors episode but i would also just want to know how did you find out that this had happened because if it was Mm -hmm. you were as a professional having a meeting with the parents and that happened whilst you were there then that might you know it might not be concerning whereas if the child comes to you and says i've seen these pictures that mommy and daddy have been (laughs) exchanging (laughs) then that might be more concerning so Mm -hmm. the context i think would be something that i would want to know a bit about Um, absolutely Um, and and also the i've seen rather than i've been showing you know there's there's some very clear legislation about showing um um, young people intimate images and and pornographic images and and similar um and whether this is an accidental exposure or, or being shown it by a by an adult would be uh, something that was is very important to explore as well. So. And I suppose that that kind of picks up on our values a bit as professionals because it's one of those things that if you've ever been in a similar situation, you might assume it was definitely just an accident and I don't need to follow it up. But as you say, it could be that there is something more yeah. sinister going on. So it is something that uh, you know a child being given a device that hasn't got parental controls set up on it at that age is yeah. is a risky thing to do. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um... It's interesting. I've certainly dealt with a couple of safeguarding issues in the past where it has almost kind of been, um, oh, they're just young or, or yeah, that's, that's nothing to worry about. They're quite a huggy family was a, an expression <laughs> that stays with me. It was it was as a result of um, a, a child in a school that was an intimate touching of staff and it was dismissed as, oh, they're quite a huggy family, which, you know, triggered all sorts of alarm bells for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> suffice to say, that's not where we left it. But, so, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is, you know, one of those things where you can say, oh, well, no harm done. But there, there could, there could potentially be something very serious there, or it could be something that is, um, just an embarrassing conversation and, and think about where you store your pictures. Okay, so let's uh, have a look at the next case study then. So this is a group of 12-year-old boys talk about playing the new Grand Theft Auto and they use sexually um, aggressive and homophobic language um, to do so. Uh, 
So Grand Theft Auto is a game. Um, which a series of is, games. It's a series of games, yes. And it's I think it's got an age restriction. Yeah, is it an 18? it's an 18, yeah. Yeah, they've, um, they've consistently been 18 games. But. So, I mean, the fact that a group of 12-year-olds are talking about playing this game could be a little bit of a red flag, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if we talked about this in Harmful Behaviours, but if a child under the age of 18 is playing an age-restricted game um, that is an 18, or, you know, if a, if a child's playing an age-restricted game that is older than them... They're not breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only against the law to sell them that game. Um, the onus is on the seller to um, check the age. Uh, and the, it could be that the parents um, are being neglectful by letting a child that age play that game. Um, and I think that has been used to sort of evidence. It, it's neglect. been used as um, um, corroborating evidence of neglect in in a number of social care cases, where you know if a child is left on their own to play age inappropriate game for a long time, might suggest that um, there are issues with parents in there certainly. But it's it's unlikely on its own to be the the trigger that that's caused the concern. Yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to gamers over the years, and most gaming. Young people are fairly well adjusted, very much into developing STEM careers and similar, and they just like playing games. Having said that, there is certainly a... It's not even a legitimisation. It's not really reflecting on the fact that potentially they're using sexually aggressive or or homophobic language. They wouldn't recognise it. Well, this has certainly been in my experiences, is is that when you start to talk to them about the, the homophobic language they use, they don't recognise as homophobic because they claim they're using it in a different context. So saying that's really gay or you're such a fag or you know, all those other things, they don't see that as homophobic. They see that oh, but we just mean that means rubbish. And you know, I've been in sessions where you have um, some gamers who identify as gay, and and even for them, they will sort of go, no, no, I don't see that as offensive because it is kind of normalised in the in-gaming culture. In terms of the age inappropriateness of it, that is an issue, um, but it's not an immediate red flag, because I think I probably said on a previous podcast, the game I've heard about more fights and violence over than any other is FIFA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because you're about to finish, and then your, your mate scores at the last minute, and then he starts gloating and screaming abuse down the headset at you and then you see them at school the next day and you have a fight about it. Um, so it's not the, the, the evidence that suggests that violent content things, violent behaviour is, is virtually non-existent. There is a small body of, of literature around it but, but the big detailed studies really don't demonstrate that at all. But as, as we've already said um, it, it is evidence of, of potentially neglectful parenting. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of professionals will have probably um, kind of been a, been aware of young people playing these games that are age-restricted um, and, you know, not be particularly concerned about it. Um, the, the thing for me would be the sexually aggressive and homophobic yeah. language as something that I would want to see addressed. Um, so I delivered some 
anti-homophobic bullying training to teaching staff a couple of years ago around Cornwall and um, something that came up quite a lot was this issue of that's so gay Mm -hmm. and the teachers would say but they don't mean gay they just mean bad and and that's absolutely true most of the time they aren't deliberately being homophobic but that language is quite insidious like the way that we use language can affect the way people feel about certain activities and behaviors and I would say this without knowing anything more than this sort of one sentence that we've got about this is what's happened I would probably recommend having a chat in PSHE or in tutor time about sexually aggressive and homophobic language and how um, how it can be harmful and how it can be damaging. But as you say, I think gamers tend to differentiate between yeah. what's acceptable in the gaming world and what's acceptable in the real world. <laughs> no, it is, it is. It's really interesting and I've had many conversations about it, but I don't think that is justification for going, don't worry about it. I really do think, mm. you know... Particularly if it's a game like Grand Theft Auto, where you know there's there's violence within it and sexually aggressive language is part of the game, um, and you know it, it it makes it very very clear on on the box of Grand Theft Auto um, that it's a lot of adult themes in it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, these are conversations we we need to be having to to point out the fact that you, that might be not be you using that in that context, but what if someone sees it? sexually aggressive or what if someone sees that as as you know uh, aggressive towards their 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 gender or their sexuality um and trying to i guess it's just trying to raise a bit of empathy um there is definitely a culture within some gaming groups of who can say the most offensive thing Uh, (laughs) um and, and you know it's it's one of those things where you can sort of might sort of just go, oh, no harm done. But but if we are normalising it, certainly I was aware of an incident in a in a school a while ago where there was a culture of sexually aggressive language amongst a particular year group, and the the head of that year group sort of went went, yeah, but that's just lads, isn't it? And that was a real trigger for me because <laughs> like, <laughs> no, 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 what you're doing there is is legitimising something that could potentially escalate into something far more harmful and damaging so so yeah I, I completely agree it's not a question of like taking two of them and sitting in the teacher's office and, and going right this is this is terrible and, and you're bad people it's sort of like how might you feel if you were gay and you heard someone using the saying something like that's so gay to me that's really bad you know um and if you are threatening to rape someone maybe that's not the the nicest way to to to, to be a, a um, interacting with someone in this game and, and getting them to yeah. to develop that empathy. One thing we do know is that that online does remove uh, a level of empathy because you don't see the impact of your words on on that person. And it's it's something where we really need to be having those conversations. And and it might be as a result of that, it turns out that that they are spending six hours a day on their own playing age inappropriate games with adults or something. And clearly there's issues of neglect there. Clearly there's issues of safeguarding. It might just be that no one's really had a conversation with them about it, and, and because they're in a gaming environment where there is a lot of normalisation of that sort of discourse, they've never had a chance to reflect on it, or, more importantly, to ask questions of people about it. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot that you could unpick there that um, could be could lead to some good conversations and some good, yeah, like PSHE mm-hmm. lessons. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah, and I think as well if you've got 
gamers and non-gamers in the same discussion, um, sometimes the the differences in attitude can be quite quite different and quite quite clear. So so it's it's worth having those conversations and looking at, at doing it across a example, a year group or something, not just singling out uh, two or three gamers and going right now you need to go <laughs> off to a member of the SLT for reconditioning or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on, um, quite an interesting one I think. Um, so Alex is 15 and identifies as non-binary and posts images of themselves on Tumblr in both masculine and feminine identity, some of which are sexual in nature. So what might we do about this? Um, well, it, it's quite a complicated one, isn't it? Um, I think for a professional, depending on where you sit with some of this stuff, you might find it quite difficult to talk mm-hmm. to a young person about a non-binary gender. And this is one of the ways in which the um, online resilience tool, I think, really identifies and highlights some of that which is actually it doesn't really matter about the non-binary yep. stuff it's about the sexual Absolutely. images yep. online and uh, and you don't need to necessarily have an in-depth discussion with the young person about their gender identity yep. what you do need to do is find out what's going on with this young person mm-hmm. um i think one however, of one of the one of the first things to unpick is what what is actually meant by sexual and yep. also how was this disclosed? So was it someone going, oh, they're putting mucky pictures on Tumblr? Yeah. You know, or there's something they've said that I will deliberately go out of my way to post sexual images online. So, you know, sexual could be underwear, it could be cleavage shots, it could be, um, you know, uh, moody, sultry, like more more like modelling shots and similar. So I think, yeah. you know, that's that's one of the things to, to definitely explore. Um, 15 is the sort of age where these sorts of images are going to be flying around anyway. Um, it does present some legal issues, which I think we'll pick up in, a, in another one in a moment. But equally, it's not unusual to do this. And understanding the the explicitness of the of the images, I think, is is really important to, to decide what what might happen as a result of it. And and also the motivation for doing it is this being done to challenge, to attract abuse, to attract attention, or is this being done because They've got a massive fan base, and they love these pictures. And, and yeah. uh, you know, those are the, those are the sorts of conversations that need to be had. I think. And it's interesting because I think um, in this kind of field, we think about sites like Tumblr and Reddit, and you know, these sort of uh, perhaps more blog style sites a lot. But my experience is not that many young people actually mm-hmm. use them. Mm-hmm. The fact that this young person is sharing images on Tumblr, they might be getting, as you say, lots of positive feedback, or they might be getting lots of negative feedback. Um, if they're getting positive feedback, it suggests that there is a need for recognition yep. that they're not getting elsewhere. And actually, it might be something as simple as they need to be referred to an LGBT support group yep. for young people yep. where they can talk about some of these issues and do it in a safe way, um, which obviously doing it online is is probably not going mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I mean, interestingly, Tumblr's kind of like tried to clean up its act quite a lot recently so it, it polices this sort of thing quite strongly now um it used to be appalling for um stuff like um eating disorder uh, pro anna subcultures those mm. sorts of things they there really would be an awful lot of blogs that would encourage people to engage in, in, in different um techniques to to reduce weight quickly but as a result of quite a lot of political pressure it has tried to clean 
it's act up. But I, I think my, my central point will always come back to, do we mean sexual as in um, intimate, or are we talking about something that is sexually explicit, um, you know, images of genitals and those sort of things? That's a big question for me, and, and the response would very much depend on the, the nature of the images. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's why having that conversation in a targeted way so that you're not getting too caught up as you know, as a as a professional who's concerned on a safeguarding level, you don't need to get too caught up in the non binary stuff. You need to get to the bottom of the online stuff yeah. there. And the, the non binary stuff, that is something else. That is a different conversation and a you know, a different need for support. Completely agree. I think that that's something where that might be the focus, and it really shouldn't be. It, it really is. As well as we keep on coming back to it, is the the behaviour and the motivation for the behaviour. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, do you want to do the next one? Okay, let's do the next one. Um, something of a classic, I think. Um, so a number of pupils in a class are joking with another student, saying he has a girlfriend that he's never met, but spends all of his spare time talking to her online. They suggest that he might actually be talking to a 50-year-old man who is grooming him. How how often has this happened? <laughs> it's, it's an absolute classic. It really is, yeah. Yeah, and and this in some ways is reflective of the fact that as professionals, we've done quite a good job of alerting young people to the risks <laughs> of being groomed online. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, it's it's potentially harmful um, because it could go one of two ways. Uh, it could be that this young person is sharing a lot of personal information, has developed an emotional connection to someone that they have no evidence is actually who they claim to be, um, and they, you know, they could be being groomed. Or it could be that, um, his, you know, his class are taking the myth. They, they literally do have a, an online relationship with someone their own age, you know, that's it's yeah. not to be on the boundaries of plausibility these days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um you know as, as a young person pointed out to, to me when i was having a chat to them about what an online relationship entirely online I went, what are you being so judgy for people your age used to get pissed and stagger back with strangers from nightclubs and not know where they were in the morning go yeah that's a fair point actually <laughs> that is a fair point <laughs> um so so you know just because their way of creating a, a or forming and, and conducting a relationship is different doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong but but there are some you know it's like have you have you ever seen them have you only ever seen images of them huh? uh, oh what do you mean you know the, the classic stuff like well well their webcam's broken so i've never met them you know those sorts of things there yeah. that's, that's the absolute classic alarm bells ringing then and those sorts of things so so yeah you yeah. know it's, it's kind of like asking a range of questions about how do you know they're even a specific gender how do you know they're your age um, if they've actually, you know, FaceTime them or duoed them or something, um, that's far more reassuring than I've seen some pictures of them. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, so, so what, um, you know, and how, how's the interaction happened? Is it all text based or is it, um, have you spoken to them on the phone and those sorts of things as well? Yeah. And I, it was, that was actually first suggested to me by a young person. Um, I was talking to a young person. I was, uh, supporting one-to-one and they said uh that they'd been chatting to this person online and they wanted to meet up with them and I was like okay well what could you do to reduce the risk of this being a 50 year old man that's grooming you (laughs) (laughs) and uh they said well I'd I'd Skype them Mm. and I was like oh yeah that's a really good point and you know we it 
this was some years ago in my defense it was before everybody was skyping and facetiming all the time <laughs> um but yeah i think that that is a it is a good thing and and if somebody says oh actually no they don't want to i've asked them and they yeah. every time i ask they get really funny about it i would always say do you know what they should be wanting to do this as well they yeah. should be wanting to make sure you're who you claim to be so having that um live chat with video is is step one really yeah, yeah. making sure this person is who they say they are I think we, we also need to reflect on the fact that even if it is someone of a similar age, that doesn't necessarily mean it's risk-free. So yeah. it's like, you know, if you are going to, to meet someone, are you taking someone with you? Um, the uh, Breck Bednar is the, the case that always brings to mind where yeah. they were they were supposedly two friends from a, a friendship group um, and he, he was murdered by a 19-year-old who, who was running a Minecraft server um, and that was um, refused to be acknowledged as grooming at the time. Um, and that sort of came out in serious case review. But you know, there was uh, a lot of concern from from Breck's mother that was ignored by by law enforcement at the time right. because it, it was oh no, it can't be grooming. He's nineteen and and the the lad's fifteen. Well, there's still clearly risk there. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so um yeah. so so you know, first of all, establish is it the classic fifty year old um, predator? If yeah. not, there's still risk. Um, how do you know you're going to be safe? Are you taking someone with you? Um, are you meeting in a public place? All those sorts of things as well. Yeah, and you know, I, I think um, the the percentage of people in relationships who met online has skyrocketed yeah, in yeah. the last sort of ten years. I think it's, it's. I'm sure I read that it was more than half, but mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's not right. I, no, well, it, I it is something like that. I just know. make it up. So. <laughs> Doesn't everyone else? <laughs> I think fifty percent of people make up statistics. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I think you're right. I think there have been studies that suggest that over fifty percent of of people looking for relationships will do it online now. And you know, it it is in some ways a lot safer than the, the classic. I've had six pints now. I've plucked up the courage to talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, which is. Very much my generation. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and the fact that a number of the the you know a number of this person's classmates are having a laugh with him about it would suggest to me that this is something the friendship group are aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. that that is also a good sign. You you just want to know a bit more. So that conversation yeah. there making sure that that young person isn't imminently going up to Manchester to spend yeah. a weekend with this girlfriend. Um, yeah, someone sent them a train ticket. That's um, quite concerning, I'd suggest. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but, but yeah, again, um, try and get more information, which will give you a, a greater chance of making a an effective judgment on it. And also, is it ribbing by the classmates or is it verging on abuse and bullying as well I think that's a, another thing to, to reflect upon as well yeah definitely I think if this young person is in a situation where they feel very isolated because their classmates are always being nasty then mm. that obviously makes them quite vulnerable yeah. just at school let alone when they're then online yeah absolutely. absolutely yes I think so right final one yeah um 
uh, another another classic. So so Raj is sixteen. He sends a sexually explicit image to his girlfriend and asks her to respond with a similar image of herself. Man, we had some conversations about um uh what we might refer to as a sex thing when we were developing the tool, didn't we? Oh, we did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a there's a number of things here. Now, by the letter of the law, what Raj has done is illegal. Um, um, uh, I think we've probably talked about it before, but but that law is from 1978 and completely unfit for for how it's being applied now. Um, Raj is 16, so legal age of consent. Um, it doesn't say in the description there whether they are having a, a an intimate relationship, but if they were, no one would be raising concerns about it. So. Is it the digital element that raises the concern? And then you've got a number of elements in terms of it, it, it seems like he volunteered the image. Is he then pressuring his girlfriend to do similar? Or has she said, no, I don't want to do that? And he's gone, oh, no worries. Um, maybe as our relationship develops in the future. Or is he just, you know, moving from um, a request to coercion? There's a, there's a number of things we need to explore there. Yeah. I again, as with so many of the behaviours, I think how have you, as the professional, found out that this has happened? Mm-hmm. Um, is it that Raj has told you? Is it that his girlfriend has told you? Um, is it that you heard people talking about it? Is it that this photo got shared around school? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all of these things massively change the risk element. If Raj has come to you and said, "I did this," and oh, now I think it might be out of order, then that's not going to be a particularly harmful behaviour. And you might talk to him about the risk of sending those images and, you know, not putting pressure on somebody else. But if he's come to you and said he's worried because he thinks he might have been out of line, then mm-hmm. you probably don't need to worry too much about, you know, about his safety yes. as long as that image isn't being shared around. Yeah, no, I think so. And um, I think the, the, the classic response shouldn't be, well, what you've done there is breaking the law, um, because while it is, um, both policing and CPS guidance suggest that if this is done consensually and if it's done you know, with two people within a relationship, it's very unlikely that they might pursue it as a, as a criminal case or, or whatever. And this is the sort of thing that, that to many, many 16-year-olds and many, many people older are doing in relationships as well and you know in adult relationships when they're first starting to form them whether someone's genuinely interested in someone or whether they're harvesting images is is a question that, that needs to be asked as well and i think those are similar questions you might ask a 16 year old as well is this at the start of a relationship Have they been doing it for, for a while um you know um how how far progressed is it or is this someone who is Going back to the, the classic line, I might go out with you if you send me an image or something like that, which is yeah. slightly more creepy and problematic behaviour. I read um, something about these images being foreplay, but not not in the sense of um, foreplay to sexual activity, which would be one thing, but as in, this is me letting you know I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, now... Uh, you know, again, whether that is unsolicited um, is important because if his girlfriend asked for the image, then that would suggest um, that she's comfortable with that, mm-hmm. um, with receiving that. Um, so what 
what would we do as professionals? What what sort of advice would we give? What steps might we take? I think in, in terms of what we might do, it's it's the unpicking about, you know, like you were saying, is it unsolicited? Is this someone that if they find someone attractive, they'll take a dick pic and send it onto them? <laughs> Which is like, Maybe that's not the way you want to start a relationship. Whether these <laughs> images go further, where they're being stored, whether there's um, there's a, a respectable sort of boundaries with, within the relationship as well. Um, I think are all you know mature questions you you, you want to be having. If if they are, as it's kind of implied in the in the scenario, they are in a relationship already. Looking at the issues of of whether she's feeling pressured or coerced is is important. But also, you know, where are they storing the images? Are they sure that they're not being shared further? If they're being stored in a you know cloud based system. Are they aware that you know, other people might be able to gain access as, if they haven't got good security on those sorts of things? Uh, you know, the mature conversation you need to have around it rather than just the, oh my God, you shouldn't do that because there is a law that says if you're under 18, you shouldn't be doing that. Because, yeah. you, you know, it's 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 something where, where at that age it would be extremely unlikely that uh, a police officer would, would wish to take that further. But the the law is there also there to protect if there are issues of, of coercion or or manipulation or, or pressure as well. So yeah, and I you know I think there's something in that about um, sort of what you said about where are the images being stored. It's also that thing of when you're in a relationship with somebody, you trust them and you decide that you're going to share those images, and that's uh, something that you maybe feel quite confident about, quite good about. But most relationships that people are in in their teens don't lead to lifelong relationships. So what's going to happen to those images if you end up not liking each other so much or if you (laughs) end up not trusting each other so much? Um, And having those, I think having those conversations whilst you still like each other is quite good because then you can say, yeah, okay, if I send this to you, you'll delete it straight away. Or, you know, I'll send it to you on Snapchat and it won't be stored. Yeah. and you won't take a screenshot and you won't kind of uh, abuse that trust. And, um, you know, that's that kind of sex education stuff that is good to talk to young people this age about because when they get to 18, they're not going to magically know this yes. stuff. It's, no. it's going to be legal for them to do it, but they're not necessarily going to know how to stay safe. No, I think I think that's a really important point that there is an assumption with all this legislation that all of a sudden when you get to the age of 18, you are you're absolutely fine and and, you know and actually if if you're 18 and someone shares the image you're actually more effectively protected in law because we have revenge pornography legislation that says non-consensual sharing of an intimate image is is illegal and so there is a greater level of protection for the victim but what we know from speaking to adult victims of non-consensual sharing of images is they're not generally aware that these laws exist or they have any protection or even that the person has done something wrong so so you know it's kind of like well i i took the image i shared the image it's my fault that they've shared it further no that's not the case you cannot transfer consent from one situation to another situation you have consented to the image being shared with them you do not then consent to them sharing all and sundry that image so yeah i think that's really important and and absolutely i think probably a lot of adults don't realize that that's the case yeah it is interesting that we see some of the language used in schools um, then delivered by adult victims of news-based abuse, where they go, it's my own fault, I shouldn't have taken the mm. image, or I know there's nothing I can do about it now, it's on my, 
And none, none of that's actually <laughs> true. You know, there are things you can do. The Revenge Pornography Helpline has um, uh, a really good track record of, of takedowns. Most um, pornography sites will not be happy to host um, material where someone hasn't consented to it because that's illegal and there's copyright laws and those sorts of things as well. But we don't have these conversations because we're too busy nailing the you shouldn't do it, it's illegal, which doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if people will have heard of the revenge pornography stuff. So revenge porn is what? Well, revenge porn is the term which I, I thoroughly hate, um, which is, is, is really very much around uh, the classic scenario is two people break up and then one of them decides to post um, images or, or share images or something in a non-consensual way. Um, it's re- the reason I don't like the term revenge pornography is revenge implies that there is some sort of justification for doing it, um, and clearly there isn't. Oh, I've split up with you, therefore you have a right to share indecent images of me with my friends and my employees. And, you know, it's just absolute nonsense. And pornography again implies sexual gratification, whereas let's call it for what it is, which is a form of domestic abuse and control. Um, so yeah. far prefer the term non-consensual image-based abuse, which doesn't get as many headlines. But um, <laughs> but that's that's essentially what it is. Uh, the non-consensual element's the most important. Um, as I said before, it's it's something where there is fairly new legislation that protects adult victims, but those protections really don't get applied to young people as well because you've immediately got a conflict between two pieces of law: the, the new revenge porn legislation and the Protection of Children Act from 1978 that says anyone under the age of 18. Who takes or shares an intimate image of, of a minor, so that's anyone under the age of 18, is immediately breaking the law. Now, obviously, and I have read the political debates at the time, because that's what I do, um, <laughs> there, there was no mention whatsoever that the, the subject of the image might also be the taker of the image and was also the sender of the image. So the, the law is now being applied for, for ways. I mean, it was essentially uh, introduced into Parliament and became law to protect children from exploitation by adults in the manufacture of pornography. Um, so you can see that, that in 1978 no one was thinking you'd have a, a phone in your pocket that was capable of sending to anybody in the world as soon as you'd taken the image because the technology just wasn't there. Um, yeah. uh, but, but no, I mean, it, it, it's a term that has a lot of uh, revenge porn, has a, has a lot of media um, visibility, but I think even the term itself really gives the abuser an excuse to do it while they split up with me. Um, so I got to my revenge by doing this. It's, it really is quite unhelpful because there obviously is yeah. no justification for doing so. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, the, what what you've just said there about the law is why this this particular activity was so difficult to place in the tool because yeah. legally speaking, we could say, this is a harmful behaviour, you need to safeguard this young person, yeah. but we can actually see there could be a range of circumstances where it would be massively in- inappropriate and probably quite harmful to start a safeguarding process around this young person or either of these young people without knowing a bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, again, it's one of those things where you know, you have these conversations sometimes with sixth form, it's kind of like, well, well, you can, you're in a consensual sexual relationship, not a problem, it's legal to do that, don't take pictures, that's illegal. And they just look at you and go, that's ridiculous. You go, yeah, it is, it is ridiculous, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, in the same way that if you're you know, talking to two 15-year-olds in a consensual relationship and it's sexual, you wouldn't immediately go, right, that's statutory rape, now we have to trigger a, a major safeguarding concern either. You, you know, you, 
you bring other sort of professional pragmatism to it. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said um, earlier, the law supports that. So the yeah. CPS don't want to prosecute young people who are not causing any harm to anyone mm-hmm. with this sort of behaviour. So you don't need to kind of, as a professional, you don't need to think, I have to report this. It's my legal duty to report it. <laughs> Actually, that's that's not the case. Um, excellent. And do you want to say anything else about any of those activities or or the potentially harmful category? Um, I, I think you know it's just I think that the message we've got across this whole podcast is have the conversation. Um, I've been talking to young people a long time about online behaviours, and it's still the case. Um, uh, I was once introduced to a government minister as the national sexting expert, which always amuses me. Um. <laughs> But but it's interesting when I first started doing work on on teen sexting back in two thousand and eight, they were saying you know adults don't understand, adults lose their minds if you talk about this sort of thing, adults don't answer the questions you have. And when I repeated uh, a similar piece of work in two thousand and eighteen nineteen, they were still saying the same things. So so you know really we need to step up and um, yeah. and and be able to have mature conversations about this with young people because they do have tons of questions. Um, yeah. uh, and those questions are generally born out of the fact that there's behaviours that are going on, they discuss things amongst their peer group, they've probably been shown a video in an assembly that raises more questions than answers, they don't get an opportunity to, to, <laughs> to ask those questions or, or have any answers so we really do need to you know, reflect and take a breath and uh, go okay, well this has happened, let's explore the context of this. I think one of, one of the things we've talked about before but, but we focus on the act that they've exchanged intimate images. Okay, but are they in a consensual relationship? Is this something that's been, as a result of pressure, is this something that's been shared further? Are all, all questions that, that raise the different issues around safeguarding? Yeah. And and all of the potentially harmful behaviours, once you've got that little bit more information, you should be able to decide whether this is a safeguarding concern and needs some... Um, intervention or whether actually you've now got sufficient information that you think I don't need to do anything or I can simply give them some um, risk sort of uh, management information um, like stuff around if you have a girlfriend online that you've never met are you doing x y and z if you're exchanging images with your partner have you discussed what happens to them um all of those things I think they can be quite minimal interventions and then you can kind of say as a professional I've done my due diligence or you know it could go the other way and you could say yes this needs to be a safeguarding referral or that we need to put in some more support around this young person around their behavior or even if there's an educational intervention there so you don't just like target the one young person you address a a whole year group or or something similar and i should also say as well that you'd expect most schools and things now to have incident response mechanisms and policies around things like like sexting um um, so obviously they'd be points to go and refer to as well um it would be an extremely rare institution that has never had a sexting incident um, (laughs) over the last 10 years and you know even if it's going down to like late primary and things where you do occasionally hear of someone sent a rude image or something which is extremely alarming and extremely concerning and really does need investigating in a great deal but but are they doing it because no one's talked to them about that maybe that isn't the sort of thing that, that you need to be doing 
Yeah. And um, when we talk about some of these subjects, whether it's sex, whether it's LGBT issues, whether it's self-harm, whether it's drugs, quite often a massive concern of professionals is if we talk about it, they'll start doing it. Yep. And actually that that isn't borne out by the evidence. The evidence goes quite the other way, that if you talk to young people about these subjects, if you answer their questions, they're safer. Yep. They're less likely to be at yeah, risk yeah. and they're less likely to engage in risky behaviours. Yeah. You know, if if you've never had the conversation around sexting and someone gets to 14 and they receive the, the message from someone saying, send me a nude, yeah. you know, have the conversation around consent or, or what respect looks like in a relationship, you might think, oh, this this is this is what happens, rather than, <laughs> that's not very respectful, he hasn't even offered to buy me a cup of tea yet. <laughs> I say he, it doesn't always happen that way around, but we, we certainly see um, in the evidence that, that boys are far more likely to, to send unsolicited um, picks than young women yeah yeah <laughs> uh, for the adult population as well if tinder's anything to go by apparently <laughs> <laughs> um excellent and and you know as with harmful behaviors if you recognize that you know you, you've got that little bit more information and you say this is now a harmful behavior you need to then follow your organization's safeguarding yeah. procedure on that um, yeah. So the tool itself isn't a safeguarding procedure. It just helps you identify when there is a safeguarding concern. And if if it is a situation where the school doesn't know what to do, then, you know, we can always be contacted and maybe deliver some training or something. And stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can actually now sign up for training through the Head Start website, um, which I'll put a link to in the notes of this podcast fantastic so next time we're going to talk about non-harmful behaviors yeah which which will be all sunny and lovely and, <laughs> and no concerns at all yeah yeah i think it does raise some interesting questions there as well because i think certainly in the process of developing the tool we move stuff that way when young people which we might have had in potentially helpful young people as well what are you talking about? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> and so, you know, it was. It's, there's some interesting things to talk about there as well. But yeah, less less doom and gloom and more. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So we'll be doing that soon and catching up on the on the podcast airwaves soon about that. Yeah. Brilliant. See you then. Cheers. Bye.